The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the advice you need to have a successful, profitable, and above all, stress-free career in real estate investing. We're going to be talking today about one of the property classes that a lot of folks are interested in, and a lot of folks aren't quite sure how to approach, which is apartment buildings. But before we get to that, a couple of quick announcements. The wholesaling subgroup of the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meets this evening at Foley's Irish Pub on Benson Road in Reading, Ohio. Meeting starts at 7 o'clock and is for folks who are interested in wholesaling properties and learning more about how to do that. You can find out more information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. At tomorrow evening's general meeting at the uh, Swift and Common Soon to Be Not, they are tearing down the whole. The whole building around our nice new building there at the end of the parking lot. But we are still there at the Jordan Crossing uh, at the corner of Reading and Seymour. At the early meeting, we've got Intro to Property Management with Jesse Brewer from Cincy Area Properties. And at our main meeting, we have Vice Mayor Roxanne Qualls, who is going to discuss the city's plans for its neighborhoods going into the future. Some interesting stuff there that will definitely affect your investing if you are investing inside the city limits of the city of Cincinnati. New business districts being developed, walking neighborhoods being developed. Already been quite a bit of money spent on that and more to come. So if you would like to learn more about what the city's plan is for the next one, five, and ten years, Come see Vice Mayor Qualls talk about that at the Cincinnati RIA main meeting tomorrow evening at 7.30. You, again, can get more information about the nonprofit Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati by going to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. My guest today is Mr. Anthony Chara. He is a seasoned real estate investor that has been in the real estate market since 1993, but turned to real estate investing full-time in 2001. He's best known for both his education and his own ownership of multi-unit buildings. During the last 20-plus years, he has owned or managed several successful multi-million dollar 
companies and he owns properties in Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, Oklahoma, and Texas, which should tell you a little bit about what attracts Anthony to the idea of apartment buildings is you do not have to live in the same place as your apartment buildings are. And joining us from his home in Colorado is Anthony Chara. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad, glad to, glad to have you on today, Anthony. Uh, and I know we we should we should tell people up front that one of the reasons you're on the show is that you are just our apartment guy, and you know you 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 come on from time to time and talk about various aspects of the apartment business. But the other reason is that you are making a visit to our fair state at the first in the during the first week of May. Yes, I am. And I'm so happy that spring is finally here. I need to thaw out. Well, I have some bad news for you. Uh-oh. Spring may be there. Spring is not yet here. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it will be by the time uh, you arrive in uh, southeastern Ohio. But uh, It better be there by the first part of May. Because the last time I was out there to visit you, you actually had an ice storm. Yes. Yes, we tend we do tend to do that. We don't normally have snow flurries in April, but that is what is happening this year. So yes, by 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 May the first and second, which is when you're going to be here, you'll be at uh, Greater Dayton Rhea on Wednesday, May the first, and you'll be at Cincinnati Rhea on Thursday, May the second, to speak at those uh, those groups uh, general meetings, and then I believe you're coming back to Cincinnati to do an all day workshop on uh, is that May 11th that that's happening. That's correct. May 11th. So, yes, uh, we, as always, welcome you. But for this evening, what we wanted to talk about was sort of uh, just more generally what in the world is going on in the multifamily world? Because we hear we hear rumors, you know, we hear rumors that apartment buildings have become a big uh target of investment by hedge funds and insurance companies and big, big, big money people like that. And, and, and then I remember a few years ago, we were hearing, well, you know, multifamilies trail residential by two years. So any day now, the multifamily market should just crash and burn. And you're out there in the field every day. So you, you're not just, you know, looking at numbers in some government office or hearing rumors, you, you, you know, what is, really going on. So tell us right now, how are multifamilies doing as an asset class? Well, great question. And, you know, part of how well apartments are doing does depend on where you live. Uh, you know, I can, I can make a generalization that apartments across the country are doing extremely well, and quite frankly, they are in most locations. The, uh, the uh, occupancies in most locations are at record highs. So vacancies are at record lows in a lot of places. And it's interesting, though, that, that you've heard from some people that apartments tend to follow or trail the housing market by about two years. I found that it's just the opposite, that apartments lead the housing sector. Because generally what happens in a particular area is jobs start to be created. And when jobs are created, people start moving into a particular area, and there may or may not be housing available, or people aren't ready to buy a house just yet. They want to get a feel for the area, make sure the job's going to work out. So what they tend to do is move into apartments. 
And then eventually, as they get used to the area, they gives them a little bit more time to go out and find an area that they like, an area that they want to live in, and then they end up moving on into a single-family home a couple years, a year or two years later. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I found is that the apartments generally lead the the uh, housing sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that in. Uh, reverse situations, uh, multifamilies are often also where people end up as the, uh, you know, folks folks who might live in a rental house uh, get downsized. They're working 30 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week, and they're, they're actually looking for a place that is less expensive, requires less of, you know, the lawn mowing and the maintenance, and they don't have to pay their own utilities and so on. I would yep. think they typically go into apartments. They do that as well, too, absolutely, because some people will go out into the rental market, whether they're homeowners or, like you said, renters. Then all of a sudden they realize that, hey, they've actually got to work. They've got to mow the lawn, and they've got to trim the trees, and they've got to uh, do all the things that they need to do to the house as far as painting it and and maintaining it and the roof. And then all of a sudden the reality sets in, and it's like, you know what, screw this. I'm going back to an apartment, so I don't have to worry about all this stuff. Well, uh, it sounds like uh, apartments uh, might be both leading and trailing in some ways, depending on what <laughs> what cycle uh, of the economy we're in. And when we come back from this break, I want to talk about this this much predicted crash in values and 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 huge bubble of multifamily foreclosures that we've all been waiting for since 2007 because it just had to happen <laughs> since it happened in the in the single family market and and where it went we're going to be taking questions as well from callers at 877-772-9658 that's toll free at 877-772-9658 or you can submit your question on the web by going to askvina.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Anthony Chara from successclasses.com about what's what's really going on out there in the multifamily business. And Anthony, we probably ought to, ought to step back for a second because multifamily, that's, that's, that's a broad definition. Uh, we, we could be talking about anything from a two-family to a 300-unit garden apartment complex. Yep. When you talk about apartments, what what size are you real? What size of property are you really discussing? Well, whenever I do talk about multi units, I am talking about anything from five units and up, because uh, multi units, or in this case, apartment complexes, the the distinction is usually drawn by the lending industry, because the lending industry says that anything that's four units or less is considered a residential property, and five units and up is considered a commercial residential property. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, apartments would have to do with anything five units and greater. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be looking at anything that's five units and greater. There's a different variety of factors that determine whether you should be looking at five to ten units or 20 to 30 or 50 to 100 or 100 to 1,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what about this thing we were waiting for where all, all apartments suddenly got super cheap and we could all run out and snatch them up for $5,000 a door? How come, how come that didn't happen? Well, you know, that's a great question. Um, 
And the fact is, is that I think what happened when the housing market went in the toilet, a lot of those people that lost their homes went into apartments. And there's a lot of people that are still afraid of what's going on in the market, and they haven't stuck their heads back out the window yet or out the door yet to go back into the single-family home market. So certainly there are areas around the country or even bad owners around the country that do have issues, and because of those issues, uh, they tend to not run their properties very well, and they end up losing them. But as far as a, a widespread panic like we saw in some of the housing markets, I think a lot of it comes down to, just like single-family homes, it comes down to supply and demand. And as long as developers aren't oversupplying a particular market, it's going to be tough to have the type of crash that people were predicting a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So, the, And the other thing that uh, you need to take into consideration is you can still overbuild apartments in a certain type of class in a market, but not have overbuilding in other classes, because there are different types of buildings. There's A-class, which are really nice complexes, B-class buildings, which are a little bit older, and used to be A-class buildings maybe 20 years earlier, and then C-class properties that are a little bit older than that, 40, 50 years old. So most of the time when somebody's building a brand-new complex and where they're oversupplying is usually going to be in the A-class type of properties. So as long as um, you're investing in the right type or the right classification of property in the right market, you can have developers come in and overdevelop in some of these A-class properties, and uh, a lot of times that's going to push people into your complexes. Mm-hmm. Okay, you... There's 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 a lot of stuff that goes into the value of an apartment building, and actually we have for folks who uh, go to iTunes and and look at our 150 podcasts that are up there, we actually have an interview with you from about a year and a half ago, where you discussed a lot of the you know the rents and the expenses and the cap rates and all of that sort of thing. But I know that that one thing that drives the value is how much rent can you get and there there was a period of time there uh, back when everyone in the world could get a home loan where we were seeing uh, owners of multifamilies doing all sorts of creative things just trying to get people into their units you know free, free first month's rent uh, $99 deposit special was all those signs up all over the place you mentioned earlier that uh, vacancies are now very low. Does that mean that rents are up? Yes. Uh, is Generally across the country, rents are up because vacancies are so low. And you're absolutely correct. As, as those vacancies rise uh, back in the early 2000s when anybody that could fog a mirror could get a loan, there was a huge amount of vacancy in apartments. And you're absolutely right. What was happening were a lot of apartment owners, in order to keep their properties full, were giving out concessions and concessions in the form of, like you said, a $99 move-in special or uh, sign a 12-month lease and get a half month or a full month of rent free. Uh, And that generally is being driven by supply and demand. So uh, back to the fact that you were talking about the market crashing, to me, my my market crash happened in the the earlier 2000s, maybe from 2004, 2005, and even 2006, because everybody was moving out to go get these loans to buy their first property, and our vacancy in our units went up substantially. So we were 
we were hurting and we had a lot, we'd lost a lot of income and a lot of tenants. So the values back then were actually dropping long before the single family home market started crashing in 07, 08, and 09. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the other factors that, that, that people don't necessarily look at until they try to go get some uh, that, that drives how valuable your multifamily is, is the availability of financing. Uh, I mean, you can, you can prove all day long with cap rates and return on investments and so on that you've got a building worth a million and a half dollars, but if there's no bank out there that will finance that for a buyer, you don't have a property that's worth a million and a half dollars because you can't sell it. <laughs> you can't sell it for, for anything. So uh, you know, I, I was just at a conference this morning uh, with a, a bunch of local lenders who were expressing uh, their own frustration over a lot of the regulatory burdens that have caused them to be very, very risk averse in terms of lending to single family borrowers. What is the multifamily financing market like? Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I'm finding it's the exact opposite. We actually now have lenders who are competing for loans in the multifamily market. Uh, they, it's gotten to the point where the the money is much more available for apartments, I think because everybody was frightened away a few years ago with everything that was happening in real estate. A lot of banks basically turned off the, the faucet, and they made it much more difficult for people to get loans, whether it was an apartment or a single-family home. As a matter of fact, I had some students who had a property right there in Cincinnati that they lost back in 2007 because all of a sudden all the lenders shut the doors. And we went to probably 20 or 25 different lenders looking for money to buy this property. And we were actually days away from closing, and everybody just shut down. And now it's turned around the opposite direction where we have students that are coming back and they're saying, yeah, I went to a couple different banks and shopped the loan, and all of a sudden it went from a 6% interest rate to a 4.5% interest rate because they kept going back and forth with each other and offering better terms, longer uh, amortization periods, and uh, higher LTVs. Well, they maybe started at 70%, then they went up to 75 and 80%. They started at 20 to 25-year AMs and went up to 25 to 30 uh, and the interest rate dropped because they want—they now want the business—is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, financing is available now. That is—that is not to say that the building doesn't have to qualify and the people don't have to qualify and and so on. But as, all other things being equal, uh, you're actually finding that that is uh, in today's market looser than yes, it was a few for- years back. Correct. Yeah. For multifamily, I think what they they are seeing is that multifamily investments over the last couple of years have been some of the safest investments. Uh, I know that uh, places like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, a lot of people were hearing the rumors that the government was going to shut them down. I, I don't ever see them shutting those places down because of the fact that they're about the only uh, avenue you have to guarantee some of the loans that some of these different banks are offering. And one of the reasons they've actually survived over the last five or six years with the crash in the residential housing is because of their apartment portfolios. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've covered rents, we've covered financing, we've covered uh, um, that that it is an asset class that's that's doing well compared to a lot of the other ones. So, what about the competition? Uh, we're 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 hearing that 
there's there's these big money folks running around looking for certain kinds of multifamily units and uh, looking to spend a lot of money on them. And I think that a lot of uh, you know the smaller individual investors say, well, how how do I compete with that? How do I right. how do I if there's a hundred unit building on the table and these guys can pay cash tomorrow and I have to go through this whole process with the loan and and probably can't pay as much. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, how do I compete? So so are you seeing a lot of that, or is this just another, you know, it happened three times and now everybody thinks it's happening everywhere? <laughs> yeah. It's a trend. It happened three times. Uh, quite frankly, there's a lot of these big companies, hedge funds, uh, real estate investment trusts, insurance companies, they've been going around for years, probably, well, quite frankly, decades, buying up very large apartment complexes. They're looking for places that they can store a lot of cash in what they consider to be safe investments for their investors. Uh, some of those have started to trickle down a little bit. There's actually some newer hedge funds, some smaller hedge funds that are starting to go for the smaller products. Some of the the uh, larger companies, they're only looking for three, four, five hundred units and higher as far as the complexes that they're trying to buy. They don't want to waste their time going after a hundred unit property. Now, there are some of these smaller hedge funds, though, that are starting to go after the 50 to 100 to 150 to 200 unit properties uh, to, uh, in most cases, they're doing it because they're doing a large value play. They're going in and buying up some of these properties that need some extra work done to them in order to increase the income, which will increase the value. So it is happening a little bit, but again, it is going to be on an area-by-area basis. Uh, there's, There's still plenty of opportunities out there all over the country for smaller investors. Uh, these guys typically aren't going to be going after 20, 30, 50 unit properties. They're going to be going after things that are much bigger. They're generally going to stick to the main uh, um, metropolitan areas around the country, places like Cincinnati or Columbus or uh, Denver, You know, the larger cities that are going to perform well. Uh, so another avenue to investors, if they're not looking to compete with some of these bigger people, is go out to some of the, the outlying areas just outside of the metropolitan area limits and find some good values on the fringe areas where a lot of these big money people are not going to be venturing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's, uh, it's, it's the day you get to hear about and ask questions about apartment investing, uh, whether you're looking for to start out with a little five unit, or maybe you're super ambitious and you don't want to look at anything less than 100 units that you can have passively managed for you. Anthony Chara is the guy to ask. We're taking your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email by going to our website at askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Anthony Chara, and we're talking about sort of the apartment market in general. We're also taking your questions at 877-772-9658, or if you'd like to submit one via email, go to askvina.com, fill in the contact form there. Uh, I have a question here from Franco in Los Angeles. Uh, He says, what typical return should an investor expect on their down payment? I was told to expect an annual return of 10% in Texas, which sounds really good. That is a complicated question right there, Anthony, because 
typically, I think the way investors look at uh, the value of a building doesn't have to do with return on their down payment, but rather the overall capitalization rate on the building. So what what advice would you give Franco in regards to this question? Well, it's a great question, Franco. So first off, it all those things go hand in hand, Vina, that you're talking about, the cap rate on the building, uh, what they can get a loan for on the property, the size of the property, whether or not there's any upside to increasing rents or decreasing vacancy. But on average, what I've found around the country is that any cookie-cutter deal that's out there on the market from a performing property, you should be able to get uh, roughly 8 to 10% cash-on-cash return based on the amount of money that you invest in that property. Now, uh, to get back to Franco's specific thing about Texas and getting a 10% return, uh, you know, again, it's going to come down to the city that it's located in, the quality of the building. Is he buying it himself? Is he partnering with other people? Uh, quite frankly, in some areas, you might be able to get a little bit higher return than that. Uh, so there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of factors that go into uh, the mix when you're trying to figure out the, the return. You know, I, I think he's talking about cash on cash return, but when you start talking about the equity pay down and the depreciation that you can take on the property and the appreciation by raising rents and things like that, uh, your returns will will boggle people's minds and you can get up in the, the uh, well, you know, I don't even want to give a, a specific amount, uh, but you can get much higher than just even the 8 to 10% return. Well, I mean, in one sense, if you do the right kind of deal, you can get an infinite return where you end up with no cash in it at all and still are making money and there, you know there's no there's no way to calculate that return but yep, that's, that's very true <laughs> let's uh let, 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 let's go let's go off our little outline here for a moment anthony and talk about the different kinds of people out there who uh, ought to be investing in apartments or who you see investing in apartments because the folks who are investing in the REITs that are investing in the buildings are looking for one kind of deal, and somebody like Franco might be looking for more of a value play. Sure. Yep, absolutely. The REITs are generally looking for safety and just constant cash flow coming in. Uh, they don't care if they're buying a property and getting a 5 or 6% return. They just want to know that that return is coming in and it's consistent month in and month out. When you're talking about a value play, certainly there are a couple of different opportunities. One is the fact that you might have a property that has a high vacancy. You, you know, if you're lucky, it's because they just have bad management and bad marketing, and they just don't get the right people in the property. If you can fix those, which are pretty cost-effective, uh, very low-dollar things that you can do to fix the property, if that's the case, you can increase the income and increase the value exponentially. Uh, at the same time, you might have a property that has a huge amount of vacancy because the owner or previous owner wasn't taking care of the property. They weren't putting the money back into it to repair the roof and paint the outside and cut the lawn. I mean, it sounds silly, but we found some properties where the the lawn was almost a foot high and some of the bushes were all uh, pretty wild because they hadn't been trimmed back in a while. And people, they drive up and it looks like the place is abandoned and they they don't want to live there. So the vacancy goes up. When the vacancy goes up, the income goes down, the value of the property goes down. So by fixing some of those things and and possibly rehabbing some of the units, you can increase the rents, increase the occupancy, and 
the income and the value go up tremendously, and then you can make that 10% return look like pittance. And you're absolutely correct. You could theoretically get into a property where you maybe you start with your own money and buy it, and in a year or two, because of the value that you've brought the property up, you can refinance it and get all your money back, and now all of your income is now infinite. You can also get infinite returns by partnering with other people where maybe you find the deal, you negotiate it, you put it together, you run it, and you have other people partner with you that are looking for some nice returns that um, put their money into it. Since you don't have your money into it or, or little of your money into it, your returns go through the roof. And like you said, if you have no money in it, then it's, it's now at an infinite return. <laughs> Who should be investing in those things? I, personally, I think a lot of people that are looking for long-term cash, long-term growth on their money. A lot of those people are people that have IRAs, that they can't touch them for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, It's a great way for them to get in on some good cash flow that they're not going to be using for quite a a few number of years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an important point to emphasize that there are lots of different ways to be involved in an apartment deal. Uh, I think one of the things that Uh, sometimes turns people off about them is they think, man, I can't even manage the two tenants I have in my two single family homes. What's it going to be like when I stack 66 of them on top of each other? That's just going to be a management nightmare. Well, you know, if, if, if you don't want to be the person who manages or manages the managers or does any of the renovation, there's all kinds of people out there who have the skills to do that, who want your money. (laughs) and are willing to have you be a very passive participant. Now, as the passive participant, you're not going to see the infinite returns, obviously, because it's your money that's going to be in it. Um, On the other hand, there's people out there without money, but with a a ton of energy and a ton of knowledge and training, and they know how to find the deals, and they've got the connections with the brokers, and they they know how to go find off-market deals, and they can do anything that can be done with your hands in terms of, you know, renovating things that would love to 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 have the opportunity to go do a larger deal than they're able to do right now. And if you can be the person who puts together the money, there's an opportunity for you. So there's, there's, there's so many different uh, variations on an apartment deal, yep. so many different sub-markets. I mean, I, I know that, you know, you've got all day when you come here to Cincinnati on May the 11th, uh, to to go through some of these things with folks, but uh, there's some people who are who are very very into college housing, which is apartments in college areas rent for a different amount of money, and the buildings sell for a different amount, and you have a different set of criteria for what the students want, and you have a different set of management issues, and some people love them and some people hate them. Um, on the other hand, there's folks who've made tons of money in those Class C units you're talking about in the lower income areas it's just like single families in that if you choose the area and you choose the kind of deal you want to do am i am i buying this for long-term income am i buying it to fix it and sell it in five years for some big upside am i buying it to fix it and refinance it and get my cash back out and go do it again there's so much that can be done here Oh, absolutely. And one thing that you didn't even talk about was uh, potentially getting in on the apartment with none of your own cash, 
not managing it and still making a good return. And one of the ways you can do that is just by having good credit and being a credit partner for someone that finds a great deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, you're absolutely correct. There's a, a plethora of avenues. There's different um, uh, strategies that you can use with apartment investing, just like single-family homes. And as long as you go into the right market with the right strategy, uh, you're, you're going to have some pretty terrific returns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let us say it's always the right education. That would help, too, yes. You <laughs> want to go in blind. You want to have some idea of what you're doing before you start throwing a bunch of money out there to put down on an apartment building. Yes, I think I think the, the, the biggest mistake that I have observed in seeing people buy apartment buildings is the inability to evaluate up front what they're really worth. And once you have overpaid, it's hard to fix it. <laughs> you know, offering the right price to start with, and 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 thus, you know, understanding all that all the things that go into that uh, is a very important thing. And I know that uh, you spend a lot of time on that in your in your all day sessions. Yeah, because sometimes you can certainly buy things incorrectly, like you said, and maybe put down too much money. And then sometimes the only way to fix it is to put more money into it. And then uh, that's not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely want to have the the knowledge that you need in order to be able to evaluate them properly to make sure that you're not overpaying on the front end. Mm-hmm. Anthony, just I, like, go ahead. I was just say, just like single-family homes, most people tell you, when do you make your money on a single-family home? When, when you buy it. You buy it. <laughs> Same thing with an apartment building. That, that's right. That's right. So I know you're you're not attached to your home area in terms of where you will buy apartment buildings and uh, part part of the reason is you happen to live in an expensive market uh part of it is that you're buying properties of a size and in such a way that you don't need to be there you 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 you, anthony do not need to collect the rents yourself you have other people who absolutely are are hired to take care of all of that and uh, I'm, I'm guessing you've probably never met 99.9% of your tenants face to face, and that you know, it's, to, to you, it's 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 almost more of a business than it is a, a real estate investment. I mean, that's exactly what it is. There, it is a business. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying I'm buying a property because I'm buying the cash flow that that property generates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this, uh, because I, I I get emails from you all the time where you're saying, oh, I'm going down to New Orleans to look at a building. Does anybody want to come with me? <laughs> Tomorrow I'm in Kansas City and I'm in Grand Rapids. And um, are are you finding that the deals are widely enough available that there's room for other people to jump in? Oh, absolutely. Because uh, again, there's a variety of different ways that you can be involved. So even if you find a deal in a market, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to pull that down by yourself anyway. You might need to partner with other people to bring in cash or credit in order to get that deal done. So there are there are deals all over the country, all over the country, uh, just waiting for people to come in. There, there are some apartments that have been on the market for uh, three weeks and they're snatched right up. There's other ones that have been on the market for six or 12 months and they're waiting for somebody to come along that has the right vision and the right plan in place to buy the property at the right price and make some terrific returns because of what they do to that property while they're owning it as the new owner as far as taking care of it, putting in the right tenants, uh, taking care of the repairs, and possibly upgrading some of the units to bring in more rent. Uh, The opportunities are endless. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, let's talk about what goes into the decision-making process. I, I, I would bet you that we have hundreds of listeners right now who are thinking, yeah, you know, I really need to look into that. I keep saying, I keep saying I'm going to go buy a multifamily, and I, I think I kind of understand the advantages, but... I, you know, I, I don't even know, you know, do I do the five family or do I do the hundred family? What sort of thing goes into that personal decision-making process for the, for the individual buyer? Well, great question. I think some of that comes down to some things that we've already talked about is whether or not they're, they want to do it by themselves or they can do it by themselves or if they are interested in bringing in some type of partners. Uh, depending on the person's credit rating and their own financial resources, they might be able to do a 5 or 10 or 12 or 20-unit property on their own. I, I've got some students that on their own, they can do a 100-unit property. Uh, so the first thing they need to look at is what are what's their capability as far as their credit rating, the available cash that they have for a down payment, uh, ultimately what's also their educational background as far as understanding apartments and being able to buy them. That's another thing that they need to look at. Uh, some people, if um, maybe it's something they want to dip their toe in the pool just to see, you know, check on the temperature, uh, they could certainly partner up with some other people to get some of that experience going in to figure out if uh, multi-units are something that they want to continue to go after in the long term. So uh, I would say number one is the first thing they need to do is make sure they have the education to know that they're buying and how to evaluate an apartment to know that they're buying the right property at the right price. Uh, they need to look at their own credit to see what they're able to afford. They need to look at their own cash reserves to see not only what they can put down for a down payment, but also have that money set aside because your, your lender is going to want to see money uh, set aside in case you run into a tough month or a couple of months where maybe you have higher than expected vacancy or some extra expenses pop up that uh, – because maybe you had a maybe you did have a bad tenant and you had to go in and completely redo one of the units or something like that. Uh, so those are a few things that they need to look at. Another thing I think they need to decide is how close to home do they want to invest. Uh, I meet a lot of students that they say, you know what, I only want to invest in my backyard where I can go take a look at the property, and that's fine. Um, that's going to limit the availability of units that you have to look at if you're only going to look in your own backyard. If they're willing to travel around the country, uh, that will also open up a lot more opportunities for them. We're going to take one more quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about your predictions for where the best deals are going to be in the next one to five years and why. And we're also going to take a couple of listener questions. If you have one, you still have just a couple of minutes to get it in. Go to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Anthony Chara, who will be here in southeastern or southwestern Ohio, excuse me, if... Uh, if you'd like to come and see him on May the 1st in Dayton or May the 2nd in Cincinnati or May the 11th for his all-day seminar in Cincinnati, you can get more information about those events at CincinnatiRIA.com or at GDRIA.org if you are up in the Dayton area. Um, got a couple of questions that have come over here, Anthony. Uh, this one is from Adam, who lives in Georgia. He says, I eventually want to put together partnerships to buy larger properties 
that aren't necessarily in my region, but I feel like I should do a few smaller properties on my own before I start asking other people for their money. Would you agree that it would be a good for my credibility to buy and successfully reposition some smaller buildings, say 12 to 15 units, before trying to put together a partnership? Um, yes. I mean, ultimately, that would be the best way to do it. Uh, by doing something a little bit smaller that he can take care of and fix himself, that does absolutely add to his credibility. Is it 100% required that he do that? No. Um, I actually have some students that They've got a lot of single-family home background where they've bought single-family homes, repositioned them or rehab them and flipped them, and they can use that as part of their credibility. Uh, but certainly, if you're looking to get into larger apartments, I, I think what, you, what I would recommend that you look at is what kind of overall experience do you have to begin with. So if you have very little real estate experience at all, that, and you, this is something that you want to do, you want to get into bigger and larger deals, there are, uh, the, what Adam brought up is a great way of doing it, doing smaller deals to start with, repositioning those, because now that absolutely builds your credibility. Uh, another thing that you can do to build your credibility is to partner with someone else who's already doing what you want to do, and then use that as some of your credibility to put on your own personal resume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent from Illinois would like to know what what would be the best kind of building if I am looking for owner financing? Well, I would say if he's looking for owner financing, I would look for buildings that have um, been paid off, that maybe the same person or the same entity has owned that property for over 15 years. Uh, If you can find ones that are in a single person's name or a husband and wife's name or two, two individual names as opposed to an entity name, I think there's a better chance of you getting owner financing under those circumstances because some of those people just might be at the point where they're getting ready to retire and they're ready to move on and uh, you know they bought the property in their own name which I, I wouldn't recommend doing but they did that and if they did it 15 20 years ago they could be primed for getting ready to retire and offering seller financing i think one other thing that i would add to is i would start looking at much smaller cities you know, I made the comment earlier about looking on the fringe of major metropolitan areas. You might want to go an hour or two hours outside of a metropolitan area to find a really small community where there may not be a lot of banks that are willing to loan in some of those markets. And in order for that seller to sell, they might have to provide you with seller financing. So that's another avenue you can look at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Question from JC in Las Vegas. Anthony, have you ever dealt with commercial defaulted paper as a way of getting in the back door on some of these soon-to-be bank-owned properties? If so, what would you recommend for someone who wanted to pursue that? Great question. Uh, I have personally not looked at defaulted paper yet. Uh, We are actually just starting to do that. I've got one of my students and I who are coming out with our own little fund that will be working on some of those avenues. But personally, I do not have any experience uh, doing the defaulted papers, the defaulted notes. Mm -hmm. And yet, JC, you did at the same time here that he's interested enough in it to be... Yes. Pursuing that as a as a method of uh, of 
potentially getting to some of these properties before they hit the market as REOs. Yeah, and quite frankly, what I would recommend to JC is that if she hasn't done, or he or she, or whoever JC is, um, if they haven't done so already, it would be to get some training from a reputable person in the market that does that type of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will give you the keys that you need in order to figure out who to go to and where to find those defaulted notes and how to make sure you price them properly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about what's coming up in the apartment market, Anthony. Um, you are you are a devotee. I know you are never leaving the apartment market as long as you can draw breath. But for the rest of us, best time to buy is in the next year. Should we wait a couple of years? Uh, what's what's it going to be like in five years? And I know you don't have a crystal ball. But based on your now many years of observation of this market, what are we going to see? Well, I think that probably for the next uh, maybe two to three years would be a very good time to buy apartments. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I think apartments tend to lead the housing market. Uh, there's a lot of building going on around the country with the single-family home markets. So I think what's going to happen is as the the building catches up with the demand, then eventually you're going to start seeing people move out of the apartments and move uh, more people moving out of apartments and into single-family homes. And because of that, you're going to see some of these record occupancy rates that are happening around the country. Uh, they're going to start to drop off in a few years. Uh, and that's if the single-family home builders uh, catch up with demand, which unfortunately they usually do, just like every cycle, they'll get to a point where they'll start overbuilding and then they'll, they'll, the single family home market will pull back a little bit. Hopefully it won't crash like it did the last five years or so. Uh, but also the other thing that will affect it is what's going on with the apartment building. Uh, there's a lot of areas around the country where developers are overbuilding or starting to overbuild apartment complexes. And, uh, but again, that's mostly A-class properties. So as that happens, you're going to see a lot of the values in the A-class properties drop as developers overbuild, and uh, once they stop overbuilding, then things will start to fill up, the vacancies will go back up, and the cycle will start, or the occupancies will go back up, and the cycle will start over again. So I think in the next uh, one to three years is probably a very good time to continue to buy apartments, uh, but around that two to three year mark, it might be a good time if you're not interested in the long haul, and in my case I am, I'm interested in the long haul. So I'm generally holding buildings for between uh, six and ten years. And uh, uh, at that time, we'll either look at refinancing the property and holding it for another six or ten years, or if the timing is right, uh, we'll sell the property at that point. So even as vacancies start to go up in two or three years, uh, we should have enough uh, cushion in our properties that we'll be able to continue to hold on to them as we increase our rents over the next few years, uh, our income is going to go up, and it's not going to drop until some of these vacancies start to go up. So as long as we maintain the properties, we treat our tenants right, uh, we should have good long-term cash flow on all of those. Excellent. And once again, Anthony, I just want to remind listeners that they can come and see you give an actual presentation that you, you, you cover each of these important aspects with pretty pictures and slides and the whole nine yards on May the 1st or 2nd in either Dayton or Cincinnati, and then on May 11th in an all-day seminar sponsored by the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. More information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. Thank you so much for your time today, Anthony. 
We really appreciate it. Thanks, Vina. It was a blast. Thanks. Uh, Don't forget the Real Estate Investors Association meeting tomorrow night. The early meeting is how to manage your units for greater profit and less stress. Main meeting, Vice Mayor Roxanne Qualls on Cincinnati's city plan for the upcoming years. More information, again, CincinnatiRIA.com, CincinnatiREIA.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.